there! Welcome to episode 110 of the Wave Back Music Podcast. My name is Chris. And I'm Matt. And we're here to listen to the most interesting video game music there is. Rare made some fantastic classics on the NES, but some are more well-known than others. Today's game is a bit of a hidden gem, not only in terms of being a fun and technically impressive game, but in terms of having a spectacular soundtrack by the incomparable David Wise. Nibble those piblies, because tonight we listen to the music of Snake Rattle and Roll for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Well, hi, Matt. How are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you? <laughs> Funny you should ask. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Why is that? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, walked, I walked right into that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so, listeners at home, I uh, was very excited to do this episode uh, because I, I adore this soundtrack. I adore this game. It's wonderful. And I came home today. I brought my kids out. You know, we went for a walk and whatnot. And we came home and there was some mail on my doorstep. And Matt had bought me and sent me the vinyl soundtrack to Snake, Rattle, and Roll, which showed up today. (laughs) It is stunningly gorgeous it sounds amazing it's got both the nes and genesis versions of the soundtrack which is sorry mega drive because it was never actually released on the genesis it was only released in europe it was fascinating because i didn't know david wise also did the mega drive version of the soundtrack so i listened to this record a couple times today it's got this liner notes in it with this wonderful story from david wise about how he wrote the music um it's it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous package from Fangamer. Uh, yeah. It's amazing, and I am over the moon for this thing. So I post about this on my personal Facebook page uh, because I'm just I, I'm a goon, and I'm I'm incredibly <laughs> excited about this this soundtrack have, having this vinyl in my in my house and in my life. And uh, an old old friend of mine who I've I've barely spoken to in like 20 years. He was one of my closest friends in the world uh, back in, in, in middle school and high school. His name is Adam. And uh, Adam Gonzalez, he's, he was always just like the most fascinating human being to me. I, he's super smart. Uh, he was one of the few people who appreciated the Virtual Boy as much as I did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Seriously, one of my memories of the Virtual Boy was bringing this over to Adam's house and playing and taking turns of the Virtual Boy. Um uh, so I haven't spoken to Adam in ages, and uh, he commented on the Facebook post that it was a. Uh, I, I posted pictures of the um, the record itself because the actual vinyl record is ridiculously cool. It's clear plastic, uh, sorry, clear vinyl, and it's got all this like paint splatters all over. It's it is amazing. So he he posted just comments on there. It's a great album. Check the scribe in the matrix. Now, I'm assuming it's a great album. He meant it looks like a great album because, like... Because it does. Adam and Forever. What are the odds that Adam also has listened to the Snake, Rattle, and Roll vinyl soundtrack, right? But I also don't know what Check the Scribe in the Matrix means. So I ask him, like, okay, what does that mean? And he explains what it is. And I look at the Scribe in the Matrix, which is, like, this little, little chunk before it gets to the label, like, towards the middle of the record after the music is done... And that's where people write their names, like the people involved in the mastering process. And it has his freaking name written on there. And I was like, Adam, why is your name on my record? What's happening right now? (laughs) Adam masters 
stuff for Fangamer. <laughs> I'd like, that's the second time my mind was completely blown for a totally different reason today, right? Cause I'm In like totally, less than 12 hours. Right? I'm totally blown away that Matt sent me this record. And then I'm totally blown away that one of my oldest and closest friends did this. <laughs> he mastered the record you're listening to. And not just I, any record, right? It couldn't have been any record. It had to be Snake, Rattle, and Roll. It had to be Snake, Rattle, and Roll for NES on vinyl. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, it, as luck would have it, he had some spare time this evening. So, we just, me and Matt just got off a call with Adam. And we had a fascinating conversation yes. with him about what it's like mastering NES music. You know, what, what condition did it come from, from David Wise? It's... It was a really fascinating conversation. We're going to put it at the end of this episode. Um, so please listen to it. Enjoy it. Adam's a, just one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met. If you if you know nothing about the mastering process and you've always been curious, he does a very good job of explaining what his role is in creating these vinyls. It's Fascinating is certainly the word. It really was an, a, a fascinating experience. This has been this has been a heck of a day. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, with that in mind, now we're going to actually do the episode uh, <laughs> where we're going to listen to the music and talk about it. Uh, and and I'm just I'm elated. I'm over the moon. This is going to be so much fun. I love this soundtrack and I love everything about today. So Matt, yes, hit us with some history. Certainly. Snake, Rattle, and Roll was released in July 1990 in North America and March 91 in Europe. The game was never released in Japan, but did get ported to the Sega Mega Drive exclusively in Europe in 1993. The game revolves around a pair of snakes named Rattle and Roll who need to get to the moon and find a spaceship or something. Honestly, it's all nonsense, and that's part of what gives the game its immense level of charm. You'll face off against enemies like Bigfoot, a literal giant foot that stomps around, sentient toilet seats that flop around like mad, and a whole lot more. In the game, you travel through isometric 3D levels and eat creatures called Pibbles. Each stage has a different kind of Pibbles, like Pibble Joggers, Pibble Fish, and so on. The more Pibbles you eat, the longer your tail gets. The longer your tail gets, the heavier your snake becomes. In order to exit the level, you need to gain enough weight to set off an alarm at the top of a scale, which opens the exit. It's a pretty unique game and is currently available as part of the Rareware collection on Xbox One. The game's soundtrack was composed by none other than David Wise. I've gushed about this wonderful man on this show plenty of times before, <laughs> but the short version is he's composed a lot of legendary music from titles like Donkey Kong Country to Wizards and Warriors and beyond. This particular soundtrack is a little bit of a departure for him, as it's made up of some fantastically put-together rock and roll that sounds really good coming out of an NES. I also recently learned that David Wise composed the soundtrack to the Mega, Mega, version, Mega Drive version of this game, which features an entirely different soundtrack, which is weird. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> this game's music is some of my favorite on the NES, and I cannot wait to get started. Um, as I learned today, see, this was this is not in the script. Oh, I hit my microphone. As I learned today, which isn't in the uh, uh, the, the script here on the uh, in the record, there's a um, some liner notes of this wonderful piece from David Wise uh, that said that when the game was being developed, they uh, requested that the soundtrack sound like '50s rock and roll, and so he went out to a bunch of record shops and bought a whole bunch of '50s rock and roll to to 
uh, learn what he could about the music and kind of be, become as acquainted with it as possible to write something in that style. Uh, and I, I don't want to read this whole story because it's really a great incentive to buy this record. And if you enjoy this episode, go to Fangamer and I'll put a link in the show notes and buy this record. It's amazing. Uh, and I think we're all going to have a lot of fun because it's some really fun dancing music. It's just a hoot. Um, Matt, do you have a personal history with this game? No, I don't. But now that I know it's on, it's in part of the Rareware uh, collection with Conquer as part of it. Yeah, Rare, and this, rare Replay, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to get it. So after this episode, I'll have plenty of FaceTime with it. There you go. I, I have a big question about the, the Rare Replay version of this game because there's... There's a sta- you can't really tell, right, <laughs> when you're playing the game, but there's a stage that's a, a series of water levels, and in each one of these, each chunk of the level, you jump into a different pool, and the pools spell out Game Boy. Mm. And I wonder if they changed that in Rare Replay. Because it doesn't say Nintendo, it just says Game Boy, so I mean, I guess that's kind of universal enough. I know in RC Pro-Am and Rare Replay, they changed uh, the word Nintendo probably to the word Champion or something. Uh, like they did a championship program for Sega Genesis, uh, but I'm really curious how that came out, came out on a Rare Replay. But I don't have an Xbox One, so I can't find out. I'll let you know in a week or so. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my personal history uh, with this game is I don't remember how I came into it in the first place, <laughs> but I uh, it was definitely way back, way way back when, probably. Um, uh, probably in 90, 1990 or nineteen ninety one. It probably I don't I don't imagine it was long after the game actually came out, um, and I really don't remember how I got my hands on it to begin with. But I immediately fell in love with it, not just because of the music, uh, but because it was one of those cool isometric three D things that Rare did so well. I like, I uh, love that look. Yeah, right with RC Pro RC Pro Am and one um, of my favorites Cobra of all Triangle. time. Just great stuff, and this was a a platformer done in that style more or less and there was a lot of there's a lot of unique jumping in this game that could be if it wasn't handled as well as it was it would be constantly infuriating and it was for a long time for me i got stuck at the end of level two for what felt like forever and uh, i actually think it was my neighbor james who had this game first god i don't remember but either way um I spent a lot of time uh, mastering this game's jumping mechanics at the end of level two and I uh, I love the whole bizarre world of it. I love the way this game looked, the way it flowed, the fact that you could. So every stage has a different kind of pibble, right? So like the first stage, they're just they're pibbles, and they just jump around and roll around, and you eat them, and then you spit out a shell, and it's cute. And then in level two, you've got pibble boings, which are pibbles with springs on the bottom. They <laughs> bounce all over the place, and when you eat them, you chew them up, and then you spit out the pieces of the spring. And it's like that's really cool. And then you see because you're a snake, the little the, 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 your body as a stake is composed of a series of balls and um, as you swallow it the, you can see it move down you know, to the back of your tail it's really That's cool. cool so like you know pibble joggers they've got little they sprout little legs and they start running around you eat them you spit out the legs uh, that kind of stuff it's it's a, there's so many of these little tiny touches in this game that make it so uniquely rare this is really as far as rare on the NES, this was one of their best, as far as I'm concerned. And 
you know, with Battletoads just came came back out, and uh, it's definitely seemed to have gotten some mixed reviews. And there's definitely been a we talked about this on Stone Age Gamer. There's a, a bit of revisionist history going on about how Battletoads was never a good game to begin with, and I I, I take. I, I take umbrage with that, if that's the right <laughs> use of the word. I disagree. I think it's an overly ambitious game, uh, and it definitely has some major faults, but I do think that it does a lot of really great things. And uh, Rare, it really is a, a masterclass of what Rare was capable of at the time, because no two stage was alike. And this is a this is one of those games that's kind of like that, not to the extent as Battletoads, where they're literally jumping into different kinds of gameplay, but there's such a display of creativity in this game, of how each stage has a different kind of feel and gimmick. Uh, even something as simple as like an ice stage or a water-based stage, it continues to surprise all the way through to the end if you're one of the five people who's able to actually beat this game because it's freaking impossible. The game is insanely hard. So I hope there's a rewind function on Rare Replay. But anyway, <laughs> uh, let us begin. Let's get to work. Uh, so like, we're going to be listening to the NES version of the soundtrack, which is the one that I vastly prefer. Um, not just because of nostalgia, because I did listen to the Genesis version of the soundtrack. That, sorry, Mega Drive. It didn't come out on the Genesis. <laughs> I keep doing that. I listened to that earlier today for the first time because um, I had played very little of the Mega Drive version. I've played the, the first stage and then like a tiny bit of the second stage, and that's usually where I stop playing and say, this is weird, I want to play the NES version. Uh, that that, ver- that soundtrack is quite nice, and it's probably what I'll be using for the majority of the background music while we're talking throughout the course of this episode. Um, but I do think that just the NES version is, is really wonderful. So let's get to work, shall we? Yes, we shall. The first track we're going to listen to is the title theme. And with this... With this wonderful vinyl, I finally got the actual track names for these songs, which is really cool to have. Cause it's really for, the gift that keeps on giving. Right? It really is. For years, these have just been called, you know, title theme, stage one, stage two, etc. So now I know the names. Uh, so the first song we're going to be listening to is called Title Tune Trot. Uh, and it is... You know, think about the game's title, uh, the game's title, Snake Rattle and Roll, and it's it's very much a play on Shake Rattle and Roll, uh, and and you can really hear that in in this song, which is ah, it's a delight. So uh, let's give it a listen. Here is Title Tune Trot. Enjoy. <laughs> Snake rattle and roll. <laughs> Seriously, uh, I think you know. You know, to be fair for the NES, I I think it has a great. Um, it, it, that one, if, if based on that one track alone, 
it really encapsulates that swing rock uh, 1950s, you know, kind of Americana. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. call that? Um, happy days, like that whole thing. It really, he, he, Dave Wise nailed it right there. I, I, like, it's a toe tapper. Like, I'm sitting here like, yeah, I get this. I definitely get this. This is cool. So it's, I, I think it's fantastic. I, I agree 100%. It's, it's got that. It really nails the feeling that it was going for. And it, it, like most good title screen music, it sets absolutely does a great job of setting the stage of what this game sonically is going to be about. Because you can already tell that just from the, the, the box alone, from the title, you know that music is a big part of what this game's personality is. It's called Snake, Rattle, and Roll, which is a play on Shake, Rattle, and Roll. So right. you've already got a music pun <laughs> kicking off the game. <laughs> uh, and it's... And it is a very goofy game, which is great. Um, so, although the, the toilet seats don't have big googly eyes on them, so I guess this was before Rare just started slapping eyeballs on things <laughs> to make them sentient. But uh, no, this absolutely just just nails the tone right out of the gate. And as we continue to the next track, which is the stage one theme, uh, is called "Hiss and Hustle." Uh, and it, this just keeps that keeps that train of moving right then and there. So uh, let's go ahead and give it a listen. Here is hiss and hustle. Enjoy. <laughs> track 
It's so good. You can hear that this was supposed to be a guitar, right? And that's not always something that you get a good grasp on when you're listening to 8-bit music of what's, what is the instrument that this is supposed to be doing. And this is so clearly a guitar, and it's so, it's so good. It's just so toe-tapping, and I love the way that he handles the drums. It's so, um... Because it's effectively just like changing the volume of this snareish sound more often than anything else, and it's so effective in um, just kind of filling in the blanks in your head of what what the drums should sound like if you're imagining this being played by a, a '50s rock and roll band, right? Mm-hmm. It it just nails that sound and that feeling just by doing something as simple as changing the volume of that one snare drum hit. It's it's just freaking masterful and. It does have that weird kind of like the way it ends, and then just kind of jumps back into it. It's such a good first level fun party song. I freaking love it. There's okay. Um, I want to say like 500 things. Um, <laughs> first things first. There are a lot of I heard a lot of tropes. The rockabilly. Uh, 1950s I heard a lot of those tropes in that track and that is just beautiful because like you said it's it's NES it's it's tough to get away with some of those things but they got them in there like the the snare roll mm-hmm. um, I can't uh, for some I listened I actually listened to a lot of doo-wop and 50s uh, rockabilly and stuff it's as part of my like Pandora and there's a song and I can't think of it off the top of my head that has a, a roll sort of like that Oh, 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 um, 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 Johnny Be Good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Chuck Berry, like, whatever. But, uh, (laughs) good, not bad. Um, the next thing I want to say is, are you sure that that's a guitar? Because it gives me Jerry Lee Lewis piano vibes. Huh. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I see I'm thinking of like the the kind of the higher uh, I'm imagining like a guitar solo for the dun, 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 but no you wow I never thought of it as a piano but you're right could be I, you know I, I'm never taking credit away from from the ragtime players and the stride players of jazz but Jerry Lee Lewis was the oh, devil wow see I I I need we need to have David Wise on the show. I need um, to talk yes. to him. I have so many questions for him. Get to the and bottom of this. Get to the and bottom of this. Just this soundtrack. Um, just this soundtrack. Not none of the ones he's done. That'd yeah, be we it. won't even touch Donkey Kong Country. I just want to talk about snakes, okay? You talk about snake <laughs> rattling mole. We'll talk about snake pass, it'll be great. Uh, so uh, I did think this was interesting, um the uh that you would find this interesting in the second paragraph the liner notes like i said i'm not going to read the whole thing okay uh but the, just the second paragraph is 50s rock and roll songs almost all follow a very similar 12 bar theme mm-hmm. with each artist bring slight variations from their own interpretation and brand of rock and roll right this made the composition quite challenging it would have been easy to inadvertently reinvent an old song while working in this style but i fell in love with it every now and then i still take my tenor saxophone along and <laughs> along and jam with a band I don't know what that word is but it's fascinating uh, called Rocket 88 who play rock and roll covers to very appreciative audiences what David Wise has a tenor sax what I just I, I'm so happy <laughs> I uh, that's 
I mean, I shouldn't be surprised that, you know, he plays. But tenor saxophone of all instruments. I mean, tenor sax was big in a lot of that music, too. Wow, that's... Mm -hmm. I kind of want to see that now. <laughs> I want I want a live performance of this record, but uh, <laughs> let us move on yeah, to yeah, the yeah. next track. Uh, so, and what's fun about this is that yes, it is all in this '50s kind of genre of rock and roll, but it is not all stylistically exactly like Kiss and Hustle, which we just heard. So, for example, a wonderful changeup, which is really cool because this would make a great track too for an actual album uh, comes the level 2 theme Swingin' Serpents uh, which has a very different vibe and I really dig it so let's give it a listen here's Swingin' Serpents from Snake Rattle and Roll enjoy <laughs> Serpents from Snake Rattle and Roll, and man, I love that tune. That's that's had a that certainly had a swing, right? And it's got a, it's got so much more of a a, a a slower pace to it too, which is cool because this stage is more like this is the first stage is pretty much a straight line. Here's the beginning. Here's a bunch of pebbles to eat. Here's the end, uh, and it's very fast paced and just kind of here's the basic basic action. Don't get eaten by a shark. Have fun. Uh, this second stage involves a lot of thought. It's uh, Once you get to the end of it, there's all these waterfalls and these really tricky jumps that you have to do. It's all about being more patient and planning what you're going to do instead of just being a straight-up action game. So having the music pull back and be something a little bit more... I don't want to sound detrimental by saying plotting, but you know what I mean? It's it's just a, it's a much more relaxed kind of a tone. It makes so much more sense because it's the, the game telling you, 
okay, that first one was a blast, right? That was fast paced. That was a good time. Now slow it down and think about what you're doing because that's how that's the only way you're going to get through this level. And uh, it it's just another one of those brilliant pieces of soundtrack matching gameplay, not just setting that I love so much that David Wise so, is so good at. Um, yeah, the slower pace is a lot more like uh, what they've called boogie woogie, where it's uh, there's a little more of a groove to it, and a little more of um, uh, a slower tone, slower pace rather. Excuse me. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to say it. That's a piano. I, yeah, no, that, that's definitely a piano. You, you, the little, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, yeah. trills at the end. That, that's, yeah, that's, that's definitely a piano. <laughs> um, I loved it. Like it, it's, I hate to say this cause I'm not trying to, uh, diminish. I think I said that word twice now. Uh, oh. um, <laughs> you know the actual composition or, or anything that that's done for the soundtrack but like it's so cute i just want to hug it until it explodes like a baby <laughs> that's adorable or a dog you know what i mean like it it's like like wow you really did that with with the nintendo sounds like like that's really good and it's like i don't know how to explain it. it's like when you see like a tiny version of a hot sauce bottle or you know like a miniature <laughs> you know i don't know seesaw or something you're like wow it's so cute but like it's really good but at the same time it's really cute <laughs> if, if i don't know maybe i'm babbling but i i think you guys get what i'm trying to say i also noticed that um the notes themselves like especially when it's just the bass line and the drums going on right because the drums are, are just a wonderful like brushes on a snare drum like that's what they're going for here mm-hmm. uh, but when it's just the bass and that you can really hear that it's not it's not mathematically perfectly laid out. It's got that sort of slight variation from note to note that you get from a live performance of like real people playing real instruments. And it's kind of an amazing thing to, to, to have that coming out of video game music because it's not, you know, you usually think of NES music in particular just being very mathematically perfect. And this has such a, such a personality to it, you know? Um, yeah, a lot of the times when electronic music is made, you can very simply, like, you can play it live and then quantize it and it snaps right to the beat and you get that mechanical sound. Now, if that's what you're going for, great. But I know what you mean. It feels like it's played live by real players. Yeah. Like, uh, it just reminds me of um, uh, our friend Adam Shub. He's a, a square painter, right? He does pixel yeah. paintings. And I asked him once why he doesn't just, like why isn't it 100% straight lines? Like, why isn't it pixel perfect? He said, because that's not what I'm doing. I'm painting it. And in a painting, there are imperfections. And even though he's painting something that is, like, supposed to represent this perfectly digital squared thing, because it's a painting, it has those little bits of personality to it because he intentionally doesn't, you know, bust out the ruler and go, like, this is going to be a, a, a razor-sharp line. You know, he paints it. And it's part of what gives those things, his pieces, such an interesting personality. And that's a really similar situation to what's going on with this one. Like, yeah. it just ha- it feels more alive than it would if it were 100% mathematically spot on. Uh, and it's, and it's it wouldn't, funny. yeah, it wouldn't have the same soul, it wouldn't have the same swing if you would. Exactly. So we're going to get a little bit more energy here for the Jitterbug Jaws is the name (laughs) of the next track. So let's give it a listen. Enjoy.
I just want to clap, you know? I want to applaud after that solo in the middle, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> it's, you could just imagine seeing somebody play it and you just want to applaud because it's so good. It's And it's like everything else leading up to that point is pretty, pretty straightforward, right? You got to really... Just a slamming, but really uh, straightforward bassline going mm-hmm. on. Some some good solid drums. Just a little a uh, nice little melody going on, and then it just goes into this really complex solo. Yeah, right. And then it just drops right back in with that um, the, the, effectively the instrument that's playing the lead matching right up with the bass with a doom do 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 right right after that like you're listening to like a live jazz performance or something mm-hmm. and it's i just want to oh, i want to applaud after it's over because it's so cool it's so freaking cool yeah it's again it's like a mastery like i i'm so surprised well maybe not maybe i'm not that surprised that david wise bought a bunch of records and was like all right i'm gonna imitate you know i'm gonna take the essence of this music and i'm gonna turn it into a soundtrack and that this is what he came up with it's like not surprising one bit it's very much like um wow what's it uh imitation is the most sincerest form of flattery like this is it this is really like nailing it yeah that that solo there like i've worked with quite a few piano players there was a, a point in which my job had a dueling pianos night and I've worked with some of the most talented piano players I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen guys play this stuff live. And, like, blows my mind to have the left-hand bass play and then just crush a solo <laughs> with the right hand. Like, what? I I can barely <laughs> clap my own hands, you know, or tie my shoes. And these guys are just like, I got this, whatever. Billy Joel, whatever, you know. Fantastic work. This is just so great. This is um, I, I, Ollie has covered a couple of uh, David Wise songs. He's been doing a bunch of Donkey Kong Country lately. I would just, I would love to hear him do uh, this game soundtrack, particularly that song. I would love to hear him do that. <laughs> Challenge. That would, just be, that would be so killer. <laughs> He's gonna curse you out. You know that, right? <laughs> I'd love to hear uh, that French Irishman curse too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the next track is called Reptile Rocks. Um, this used to be my favorite song uh, on the soundtrack back before my taste became more refined. <laughs> this oh, is such oh, is a that cool what it is? song. I don't know, man. I, I... <laughs> yeah, this, seriously, this song I'll start playing like, oh yeah, this was Chris's favorite song, absolutely. Uh, no, this is just a, this is a fun rock and roll tune. I love it, and I love that it's called Reptile Rocks. I love the I love the fact that I know the track names now. It just makes it brings me no just bottomless joy. So here is Reptile Rocks. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. 
go. That's Reptile Rocks. <laughs> that is certainly a Chris Renzanzo classic. Man, when it when it concludes, right? When it goes, it just does that look. I, I can't remember when. when it, right, I can't remember when it came up before. I know it's come up in something we've we've talked about before, where something that does not happen all that often in. 8-bit soundtracks is when you start to get real, like, time changes. And this this really, it, it slows down. It goes It's it's so alive, right? It's such a it's such a live music type of thing to do, and it's not like, you don't get that in a Mega Man soundtrack. You don't get that in even a Super Mario soundtrack. It is, it's something that's so uniquely normal people music <laughs> as opposed to video game music right and it's um it, it's it's just amazing it's it's so cool to hear uh in an old in an old nes game and you know it just it loops exactly like that in the game you know song finishes and then just starts over again so it doesn't really loop so much it's just restarts <laughs> and and it's it was not something that I had heard very much of in my life at that point. Uh, and to, to, to this day, it's not something you hear much of in, in 8-bit music, but it's mm -hmm. it, it definitely is a song that stuck with me, and it makes me smile ear to ear every time I hear it. Uh, yeah, I agree with uh, just about every single thing you said. One of the notes I had was that, because uh, I'm, I'm listening to these songs now, and I'm trying to think like, what its influence was and this sounds a lot to me like chuck berry's uh sweet little 16 mm -hmm. um if you're familiar then i think you you know what i'm talking about um i think i do yeah it's it's got that like that kind of um it was a it was a very widely used guitar lick for for a lot of that music um but no, another great, a great piece. And yeah, you're right. It is surprising to hear something kind of drop the tempo down just so it could have that ending. And again, that ending is a trope of that music, of that time and that music. And it's, it's just like, like it makes me smirk. Like I see you. I see what you did there. I like that. <laughs> nice. You know, like I got you. <laughs> it's good. It's a. It's really good. Yeah. What a what a killer song. Yeah. <laughs> what a killer song. Okay, we got a couple. Uh, we got a couple left here. The next one we're going to listen to is called "Bouncing Bluegrass." Mm. Let's go to listen. Enjoy.
that in the hands of a lesser person that would sound like a mess yes but every single one of those notes is exactly what it would be if you were playing it on a, a freaking banjo correct it, that that whole solo i mean it, it doesn't come out of nowhere right because you get no. the little hint of it right like, you get the little hint of it before it gets there but then when it just goes into it and it's just like mother of god <laughs> And this is a this this stage is harrowing. <laughs> this stage is um, you're jumping on these disappearing flying carpets, and there's all these little quote unquote power ups around in the stage that will reverse your controls. Mm. So it's this this stage is completely harrowing, and this mu- <laughs> this music stressed me out so much. I remember getting to this stage, finally getting past. The reptile rock stage, right? Because that stage has um, pibble giants, which uh, you don't actually eat those ones. You have to avoid them because they fall down and they will just run you flat if you get hit by one. Mm. And um, finally making it past that stage and then getting to this one and just being like, okay, nice happy music. There's a that's a long drop. And what's what else is really cool about this game that I, I, I have to point out, and I think I noticed it for the first time in this stage, I could be wrong. This whole game is connected. Um, there are parts in the game. No, I didn't notice it in this. It was actually in the in level three was the first place I noticed it. Um, because when you look down off of the edge of the stage, you can see previous stages. Like you're climbing oh. this big mountain in this game, and the previous stage is always right down there. Like you can't actually go down there. You fall too far and you die in this game. That's just the way it works. But you can see remnants of the previous stage if you look down to the bottom of the screen. That's pretty cool. It's nuts. There's um, a YouTube channel called Atlas Atlas Games or Atlas Video. I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to it, and they have. Uh, this really wonderful playthrough of this game. Uh, what they do is, is they'll just show the entire game's map, and then basically, effectively do a playthrough where you can see the entire game or an entire level uh, from a zoomed-out perspective while somebody plays through it. That's really cool. It's 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 called Atlas Videos, and they did one for Snake Rattle and Roll, which is fascinating uh, for this game in particular because of the way it's all interconnected like that. Yeah. Um, and it really does fit together just just 100%. It's it's great. So, uh, yeah. Got anything else to add on that one? Um, no. I, I You know, it's funny. Uh, the track's called uh, uh, Bluegrass. Um, Bouncing Bluegrass. Thank you, Bouncing Bluegrass. Sorry, I, I had already advanced the next one just to be prepared. Um, and in my head, I'm like, I like Bluegrass, right? Wait, do I know what bluegrass is? And then the first thing, <laughs> the first thing that popped in my head was I had on a list of CDs that I'd wanted um, a bluegrass cover of Metallica songs, and I got it because I love <laughs> I love weird and funky stuff, obviously. Um, and as soon as it hit that solo, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I like bluegrass. This is blue. So funny. So f- it's it's funny and exciting because it's perfect it's like like you couldn't have done better with what you had you know what i mean like so good and that soul that like that lead oh my god <laughs> like and then and then there's a part after it and i i i said out loud like what what is going on it's like wonderful it's it was such a good song that might might honestly be my favorite so far 
<laughs> it's uh, I I wouldn't hold that against you. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, that leads us to uh, the last song of the night. Mm-hmm. And quite a departure, I might add. Uh, this last track is called Lethal Ledge Leaps, and it is for uh, this is this is for the stages where you get to them and you're like. Oh, oh, it's like that, is it? Because this game's challenge is pretty, <laughs> pretty out of control, and boy, getting to, getting to these stages, this is an imposing song. Uh, this mm. game doesn't really feature bosses so much, uh, but you know you're in danger when you get to these stages. So this is Lethal Ledge Leaps, which I might add has a wonderful story about it in the liner notes to the vinyl that you can get from FanGamer. So uh-huh. if you pick it up. Read the story. It's a it's a really funny story about the way this song was written. So anyway, enjoy. So that was Lethal Ledge Leaps. There was, um, for our Halloween episode a couple of years ago, I played a track from Runner 3. And the term I used that you agreed with for the song that I played was Manic. Yes. And that is absolutely what this song is all about. And it's, yes. it starts off just like very booming and dreadful and it gets progressively more manic and it is terrifying right it's because this one unlike the last one the bounce and bluegrass we were listening to this one intentionally sounds like a mess because it is this is the world has fallen apart get to the door (laughs) right that's what that's what this music tells you as you're playing the game and there's usually a lot of 
crazy stuff going on and a lot of things that will kill you and squish you flat instantly and a lot of crazy jumps that you're going to have to do without dying and uh, when whenever this music is playing and it is so perfect for adding just the right amount of stress to an already incredibly stressful situation that is playing the later levels of this game which are insanely hard. Uh, I freaking love this tune. Uh, it's so different from everything else on the soundtrack, uh, obviously, but it really, really works in all of the situations that it's used in. Yeah, yeah. Manic is certainly the word, especially that last real big piece before it loops around. I mm-hmm. the, the first passage of the of the loop, I was kind of like, oh, yeah. All I all I kept thinking is like, this is a real departure from the other stuff. Um, and I know the story, so obviously it kind of makes sense. Um, and then, even though I knew the story, there was a part of me that was thinking, like, oh, maybe it'll go into some rockabilly stuff. So I spent that first half kind of, like, just totally thinking about something different. And then I honed, like, like really zeroed in on the, on the second loop. And when it got to that final part, I was like, oh, my God, I couldn't imagine playing a game that did this to me. I'd be so frazzled, like, so angry at it, like... Stop it! This game's hard enough already. Why'd you have to do that with the music? <laughs> like, what kind of jerks are you? <laughs> but uh, but you know that aside, like, again, another wonderful piece of music. Again, you know, like you said, a departure from from the six tracks we've we've listened to. But it's great. It's it's just a great piece of music. It's very effective at, at being manic. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't have anything else to add to it other than I love it, and I'm sad it's over. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of with you. I could totally yeah. go for like a bunch more uh, music like this. Well, if you want an interesting follow-up, uh, the the Genesis version, uh, sorry, the Mega Drive version, uh, is certainly an interesting listen, and uh, it is the second side of the vinyl that's available, uh, which is super cool. There was also a sort of a sequel made to this game for Game Boy, though I can... Hmm. I've played, I've played a bit of it. I, I own it. It's called Sneaky Snakes, which uh, is always a good idea to make a sequel to your game and not include the original names, the game's name in it, you know? That way people know for sure, or don't know for sure, if your game is connected to any other game in the world. But I, I remember getting it in at the Funko Land that I worked at and thinking like, huh, Trade West, Snakes... I wonder. And then I plugged it in and like, oh my... This is Snake, Rattle, and Roll. What the... What?! Uh, and, and it is. It's it's a it's a side-scrolling platformer instead of a, the isometric 3D one. It doesn't have quite the same character, but the music definitely seems to be from at least the same inspiration. And um, nearest I can tell, I have no idea who wrote the soundtrack. Uh, I haven't been able to find find the game's actual credits, so I don't know if this was David Wise or not. Another great question that I would ask him if I could actually talk to the man. <laughs> one of these days I'll get up the nerve to actually ask him on the show, and he'll probably say yes, because I hear he's a very, very nice fellow. Um, one of these days. Uh, anyway, if you want more of that, go for it. Uh, if you have an Xbox One, get Rare Replay. Play the heck out of Snake, Rattle, and Roll. If you have the money... Get this wonderful uh, vinyl that was mastered by my my, my friend Adam. It is a it is it is a masterpiece, uh, and this music sounds wonderful there. So that's it. That's all I got. That's our show. Uh, Matt, yes. you're up next. What's your pick? I would like to do the Legend of Zelda Two. Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link. Yeah, that weird that's side scrolling one. No. 
<laughs> I always I always had a weird relationship with that one, but uh, I'm I'm excited for that. As am I. This is uh, obviously this is a means to an end because we want to get to a link to the past. Uh, yes, very much so. I have a lot of really really good things to say about the Zelda Two soundtrack, and this is a really interesting one because there's a lot of there's a lot of differences between the NES and Famicom Disk System version of the soundtrack, which I will lovingly point out when we, <laughs> when we do the episode. <laughs> what a great pick! I'm very excited. Hooray! Let's do it. Okay, uh, well, that's going to be our show. As always, we would love to hear everyone's thoughts and memories of the games we discussed here today, and you can do so over on the Waveback Forum page on Facebook. Just search for Waveback on Facebook, and you'll find more information on our next games, as well as a nice convenient place to talk about them, or uh, we'll have better chance over on our Discord channel. If you go to the Geekade Discord channel, just look for the Waveback section or whatever it is. That's where we do a, a lot of our... Uh, conversing in there, more so than on the Facebook page. Uh, Facebook just redesigned a bunch of stuff, and I wasn't able to post to it earlier today. Mm. I went to post the pictures of the record and whatnot on the on the Facebook page, and it was just like, you can't do this right now, try again later. So, I should really rewrite the end of this script to really call out the Discord one first, instead of babbling about it at the end. Anyway, uh, of course, you can always <laughs> still send us an email at mail at geekade.com. Just include Waveback in the subject so we know which uh, podcast you're talking about. And while you're at it, check out all our social media channels, which you should totally follow, like, and subscribe to if you haven't already. And be sure to check out all the other great content we have on our site over at geekade.com. Now, we're going to leave you tonight with uh, a single song from the Genesis version of the game, the Mega Drive version of the game. Uh, which is just the ending theme. Uh, it is uh, because there wasn't really much of an ending theme to the NES one, but there was a different track for the ending in uh, the Genesis game, which was called You Win, I believe is the name of the track. What a good name for an ending track, huh? You Win. It's pretty straight uh, So to we're going to... Yeah, we're going to leave you with that, and then once that track is over, we're going to skip over to the interview that Matt and I did with my friend Adam Gonzalez, who um, mastered this record, and uh, it was it's really a fascinating uh, discussion, so please stick around for it. Uh, you will not regret it. So that's it from us. Uh, have a wonderful night. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
Hey, oh my God, it's Adam. <laughs> God, I haven't heard your voice in what, like 20 years? Something, something along those lines, man. It's been about that long for me. So how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. I'm, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's, a, it's been a weird day. Like you sent me this record and just kind of blew my mind because it's such a nice thing to do. And, uh, then it has your name written on it. <laughs> it just like blew my mind. Like, wait, why is Adam's name on, on this record? Cause that's, that's just bananas. <laughs> Well, the um, the reason that you know they an engineer is supposed to scribe their name on the record. So records are made from materials called lacquers, which are like they look like blank records, and you have to cut one for each side of the record that you, you know, that you are making. If it's a two-sided record, you cut two lacquers. If it's a double LP, you cut four, et cetera, Right? Okay. And you can imagine at a pressing plant, there's thousands of these discs if not tens of thousands of these discs, right? Uh-huh. And they're all identical. They have no idea who's, whose record belongs to who or whose band is what, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Okay. So in the, in the matrix, in that dead wax near the center, uh-huh. you scribe the catalog number from the record label. And then you also scribe your name because there's so few people that do this job, everybody knows everybody. Huh. And if there's a problem... They can just go, oh, this is one that Adam cut. Let's just call him and get to the bottom of what's going on here. <laughs> so is that pressed into it like the rest of the audio is pressed into it? Because it looks that handwritten. It is handwritten. That's my handwriting. So you wrote that into every one of the records or? No, because you all the <laughs> records, when you manufacture um, records, there's a, there's a, the, the things that I create for them are master lacquers. So the master lacquers are used to manufacture thousands of records. So you imagine like a um, a printing press, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the the like the plate that that sort of puts the ink on the paper. There's only one of those. I see. And and sheets of paper go underneath, and then it stamps each one, right? You don't need a separate plate for every newspaper that you print. Gotcha. Okay. And so it is with records. So each each stamper, they call it, because it stamps the vinyl, uh-huh. can can make about a thousand records before it breaks. Huh. And so, um, you know, depending on how many records they're planning on making, you might have to create several sets of lacquers. Like when I did Stardew Valley and Banjo-Kazooie, for which there were, you know, I mean, the first pressing of both of those records was like three and a half thousand discs. So there were several copies that needed to be made for those. And then, and they're really popular and they, they get repressed fairly often. So you, you've got to, you got to go back and, and like redo some things sometimes um, just because of the popularity of the album. Wow. There's all sorts of, there's all sorts of stories of engineers from the seventies who were like, Oh yeah. Like all I did was cut the white album for like seven months. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) <laughs> or you know, or, Led, or 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 like Led Zeppelin three or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess my how the hell <laughs> did Snake rattle and roll of all? Because this game's obscure, right? This isn't a super well-known, beloved NES classic. This is it. Definitely has a its fan base, but it's a pretty obscure game. How how did this happen? Well, the the bulk of the video game soundtrack work that I do, and that is a that's a fairly small part of my overall 
um, uh, uh, like client base. I mean, probably only 10% of the work that I do is on video game soundtracks. It's mostly just, you know, bands doing albums, right? Mm -hmm. um, but one of my, my biggest video game clients is a company called Fangamer. Yeah. And if, if you look on the back of um, your snake vial and roll vinyl, it is from Fangamer. Yep. And so what Fangamer does is they have a really, really, frankly, sophisticated research department um, headed by this guy uh, named Noah. And Noah basically, you know, Noah's a video game fanatic as well, lifelong video gamer. And he basically does research on like, like what what games have like really really ardent dedicated fan bases and then does his best to um get the original source from the composers of that music and then noah hands it over to me and i master it for all formats and for fan gamer those formats are typically digital and vinyl the only time i ever do cds for fan gamers for a very, very limited amount of Sega things that are released only in Japan. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this the way that this can work is like for some of the stuff that I've done for soundtracks from Rare, um, you know, like like Banjo Kazooie, mm -hmm. that's that's literally, you know, us getting like like original synth tracks mm -hmm. uh from the time period and and you know and like polishing everything up from the ground up. And sometimes the, you know, because the composer isn't available for whatever reason, maybe they've moved on, maybe nobody can find them, maybe they've passed away. And, um, but in the case of Snake, Rattle and Roll, um, uh, David Wise is still around and is still working and was able to just, you know, send completed mixes. And so I get a request from Noah to do the album. I do the album. I cut him what's called a reference acetate, which is like a sort of like a one-off record that's that's cut directly on my lathe after I've finished mastering. And a reference acetate is, um, is not made of vinyl polycarbonate. It's not a finished record. You can only play it a couple of times, but it's, it's the best way to proof how something will sound as a record. So typically um, I will send a copy to Noah. Noah will listen and send it to the composer. And once both Noah and David have signed off on it, um, and this is an important thing for Fangamer, they want all the principals involved to be happy with what's going on, right? So the composer's got to be happy. If there was, you know, if there was a team that worked on it, they've all got to sign off on it. He wants everything to be really, really official and for everyone involved to be really stoked. Mm -hmm. And then once that happens, I cut the master lacquers, which I was describing um, uh, to Chris earlier as sort of uh, like, they look like big blank records. I'm, I'm very familiar with the mastering process for vinyls. Okay. When they're, not to cut cool. you off, okay. when there was a resurgence, uh, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago. I got really kind of interested because uh, I'm not, sh uh, we're all roughly the same age, so I grew up on with vinyls. But then when the resurgence of vinyls came, I thought to myself, like, uh, that's a really interesting resurgence. But like, I get it. I have, I have acquired quite a collection and I've been purchasing here and there. So yeah, it's, it's a noble, it's a real noble uh, profession, man. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm very in awe. Of 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 it period well i'm i've i did before i was a mastering engineer like a lifetime ago i did life sound live sound and i'm in awe of people who can do a lot of that so feeling <laughs> mutual Fantastic. all right uh, okay well now I, i'm dorking out now so uh chris ask a question <laughs> before i say something really stupid <laughs> um 
Um, so, yeah, I, again, that's that's really just wild that this came up as something that has a dedicated, uh, such a dedicated fan base. And and I get it because the music is, is incredible. It's, I remember since I was, I was a kid, I mean, you knew me when I was a kid, when I would be recording video game songs with a microphone up to my speakers and bringing them to school. So this was one of those soundtracks that I'd listened to, you know, I recorded this one and, uh, growing up and learning, uh, about David Wise and all the other work that he did. I mean, geez, you and me, spent a lot of time playing Donkey Kong Country and that was uh one of David Wise's uh probably you know biggest works that he did um so as somebody who's involved in mastering I don't know how much you were involved in the production angle of this record or anything like that or, or uh, the the conversation with David that he put on the like the liner notes about how he was uh came up with this music was was absolutely fascinating uh did he how how did that happen like did he just did they ask him to write a story about it or just to say something to put in the, in the liner notes or was that a phone call or did he send it in an email or <laughs> Rob said, no, what <laughs> well, was it? Tell that, me. <laughs> I need to that, know everything. That, this is amazing. That, that was, that conversation was between Noah and the people in Fangamer and, and David. So, you know, one of the things about mastering is that in most cases, typically, you know, the, the project is 75 to 80% done by the time it gets to me. So the, the things that David did for production, I am, I'm not privy to, right? Gotcha. All that stuff is baked in by the time I get it. And, uh, uh, you know, j just for, um, uh, not for you, Matt, but for people who just might not know, like what the, the, pro the process typically goes like tracking, which is recording and mixing, and then mastering. And the mastering engineer is, is an outside person, a third party, who's who's not connected with the recording or mixing process at all. And they're taking the music and not recording it, but really just like polishing it, making sure it works as a cohesive whole, um, balancing the whole thing, and then preparing it for whatever release format. So things for download and streaming have to be prepared differently than, than releases going to CD, which have to be prepared differently than releases going to cassette, which have to be prepared differently for releases going to vinyl. And that's, my involvement. So a lot of those creative decisions that David made, they're baked in by the time it gets to me. I, and, you know, it, and it wouldn't be like appropriate in my role to opine on any of that stuff unless I heard a problem, right? Unless like I heard something like, hey, did like there's a weird resonance that's happening here and I don't know if you noticed it. And sometimes people say, oh yeah, that's intentional. And sometimes they say, oh, well, that's thanks for catching that. Can we fix it? Um, and then as far as the liner note stuff goes, that's all, again, you know, all props to Fangamer for being incredibly thorough and for really, really like having their finger on the pulse of what excites the people who are fans of this music mm -hmm. and, you know, getting like the story behind the story about how, how somebody came up with, with this, you know, the idea to make music that sounded like this or the process that they used and really, Fangame is really, really good about, about giving you like, it's not just a record. It's like an artifact, right? Of this I, game. And, I can and uh, the, definitely attest to its effectiveness because it, <laughs> I, am, I am that audience and it was very effective. Shooting <laughs> fish in a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, they, they do, uh, I know this is about snake rattle and roll, so I won't, I won't change the topic to different games, but like, but you know, if you, if you guys want to take a look at like, the Stardew Valley or the Banjo-Kazooie or the Astrobot or 
or I'm trying to think of some other ones that were um, that were particularly crazy. Did you do? Did you master Celeste? I did. Yes. Oh my god! That's another one I, of Chris's favorite soundtracks. <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, we do an, an annual award show on the the podcast, and that one a bunch of awards from us. Uh, that soundtrack, not that whole game, yeah. knocked my freaking socks off. Uh, so. All right, now I've now I want to buy Celeste on record. Thanks, Adam. You know, you know, it's really funny. Um, I recently, I'd say within the last year, purchased Stardew Valley for uh, the Xbox, and I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm a fan of those types of games, and it came with the soundtrack, and I thought the soundtrack was pretty good. When I went to purchase Snake Rattle and Roll, I saw that they had that like three vinyl collection, and I was like, wow, I really wish I was into the game and the soundtrack as as would warrant this. And but now I'm talking to you, and I'm like. Well, I know the guy that mastered it, so I have to buy it. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so, so you were mentioning where you find uh, in your in your process, you find something that sticks out to you is like, well, this is odd, and then you would you would you would contact the, the people involved. Uh, something with a lot of David's NES soundtracks, uh, particularly thinking of like this or um, Cobra Triangle. There are some kind of strange pauses in the loops, like you know, yeah. where, where it seems like this the it ends. And as I was listening to the record before I knew that you were involved, I was, as I listened to the record, I was wondering, are they going to like for the record, are they going to fix that? Are they going to clip those together? So it sounds like a more natural loop than this weird kind of stop pause. Um, so when you were listening to like, did that stuff strike you as odd or, uh... Oh, totally. I mean, for the soundtrack, man, totally weird. And that was a conversation that David and I did have with, with the people from fan gamer, like, okay, so on this track, you know, this because the files that I get from David are the files that he generated, right? Uh-huh. So sometimes it's sometimes it's like a fourteen minute loop, right? <laughs> and so it's like so there that that is absolutely like a part of the conversation. Like, okay, this I you know I really think that this should go on for two and a half minutes and then us fade for forty seconds. Mm-hmm. And and EQ the fade in this way so that it sounds natural. That that is a hundred percent in 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 the purview of my role. And with Snake Island Roll, because the loops are so, as you say, kind of odd, like the timing of them is really odd. Like if um, I don't even want to make a noise, but there's a lot of them that like end with this sort of like spin out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then they'll just start right back up again. I mean, sometimes yeah. it was literally. 10 or 12 or 15 minutes of that and just deciding how much do you want um how much do we need to express what the song is about um and uh you know because when you're in production as you know matt a lot of times you print more than you need Mm -hmm. just because you you're you know you're just like i don't really you know i don't want to commit right now i'll 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 print i'll do a little pre and post and then, you know, when we're really ready to decide what the song is about, then we'll trim it up, right? Correct, yeah. And, um, yeah, so basically every song on the soundtrack, Chris, needed that kind of work and decision to be made and to make it sound natural. And that was, you know, it was in the, so when they got the digital proofs, there was some comment space there. Then I cut it to vinyl and sometimes, or cut the acetate and sent them. And sometimes it's, it's different hearing it on a record, just the way that a record is paced, right? Yeah. And the way that, you know, there's side breaks, which is not something that's, that's, you know, you have to worry about at all with digital, like the, you know, how does this side end and then how does the other one begin? And is that, does that sound weird? Is that going to 
create sort of a uh, like a creative incongruity for somebody who's listening to it. You've got to think about all that stuff. Which is particularly wild because um, as I was listening to it today, I listened to it a couple of times and I thought it was an interesting choice to put the pause music in between each one of the tracks, which kind of makes it a little bit, it makes it a little bit of a weird listen. Like I certainly don't mind it, uh, but I'm used to listening to the soundtrack of just all of the full songs because the, you know, the pause music is this, you know, the, 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 the song minus the everything except for like the bass and the drums. And so having that, after was it's usually i think it's usually around two loops of the song and then a cut and then it goes into the pause version of it it was a weird uh, not a bad but a a, uh, a strange choice i guess to to have that basically run as like a third loop and then into a fade with the pause music after that um was there any how did that come to be like well this is where we want to put all the pause music because i assume a lot of that was there to kind of fill out the first half of the record, right? Because the Genesis version of the soundtrack is so much long. Sorry, Mega Drive is so much longer. Uh, how did how did that? Did, were you involved in that decision process at all? Did that strike you as weird or? Uh, or I mean, that was that was that was a decision that you know that the the track order, the rough track order, with I think there was only one in terms of like actually moving songs. And I'm not at the studio right now, so I don't have the notes for this album in front of me. But I think in terms of moving songs, only like two songs were moved from the original idea that David had for uh, for the running order. So that that rhythm of the album with the pause music showing up where it is was early on in his idea of how it should go. Huh. Um, and uh, because the, when I got, you know, when Fangamer contacted me about this one, it, the the mock-up for the album that they sort of had imagined with David was 90% to where it is for the final album that you're holding now. Uh, so that was not, aside from the couple of songs that got moved, and, and really I think it was like two, um, that rhythm of, of song, pause music, song, pause music was was something that had been decided pretty pretty far upstream, I think. Hmm. I mean, it's, it was a neat listen. And like I said, I did it a couple of times. So it's not something that I mind. It's just so, it's so different from how I'm used to listening to this, this particular soundtrack. <laughs> Cause I do yeah. listen to it quite often. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're, when you're listening to it as you're playing the game, you're not, you're not like, <laughs> not, uh, playing the game for four or five minutes and then like letting it pause for two minutes and then going back and listening <laughs> to it again for another four or five minutes. Um, but for whatever reason, they thought that that would be um, like a good way to translate the game uh, for um, uh, for for an at home listener. It and, does it does make for a really nice uh, nice listen. I when I usually listen to this, I'll just put it on my iPod and it's just the regular tracks. I don't have the pause music. In fact, I've never even seen that available out there, even in the the relatively nefarious means that I find a lot of these video game soundtracks because you know a lot of that stuff's not commercially available so having access to just the pause versions of the music I thought was a really neat idea and I, I think it's different honestly for for soundtracks that are really loop based like this and soundtracks that are more like songs and that are like orchestral mm-hmm. so you know if for for really really loop based soundtracks I think there's a concern that people are going to get bored and that you've got to kind of break it up with something, right? Okay. And um, uh, like, there's some other stuff. 
well, I can't, or, I can't, that one's not out yet, so I can't talk about it, but, um, <laughs> but there are some ones that are, there's, there are some, there's some, uh, there are soundtracks that we work a lot on that kind of flow, like really, really managing the flow and putting yourself in the, po in the position of the listener and making sure that it sounds good. And it tends to be the loop-based soundtracks. The soundtracks where it's like really, really discrete songs, like it would be just for any band, you know, three to four minutes of unique music, then three to four minutes of unique music. Um, uh, you, we tend to worry less about the flow kind of stuff because it, it plays more like a conventional album. So, so soundtracks like Snake, Rattle, and Roll are a little bit more challenging in that way. So this is, um, before I got this record, Matt and I talked a bit about the fact that I was fascinated that NES soundtracks are showing up on vinyl because yeah, it's crazy, my, right? <laughs> it's, it's insane, right? Because from my understanding, and I've relatively recently in the last year or two gotten a record player in our house. My, uh, my, my wife inherited her uh, dad, mom and dad's record player and this massive, massive record collection of lots of blues musicians and stuff. Uh, and so having a record player back in my life, I picked up a couple of the ones from when I was a kid, like the monkeys and whatnot that I was totally into. Still love the monkeys. Uh, and <laughs> listening to vinyl as an adult, it definitely has this, this there's a, a different kind of feel to listening to music on vinyl. And I understand that from an analog medium. But when you start seeing NES soundtracks on vinyl, like isn't the most authentic interpretation of this digital right because this is an inherently you know, these are bleeps and bloops coming out of an nes so how do you go about mastering something because this sounds wonderful it's it, oh, good it, i'm glad you like it I, I i i can't really put my finger on what it is that makes this because like i just recently got a couple of other records like they might be giants flood and i'm listening to that on vinyl for the first time and it's it's a really kind of ear-opening experience like this sounds there's a, there's a certain warm feeling to this that comes from listening to it on vinyl. I also have it hooked up to these giant ancient speakers, which sound incredible. So that's part of it. But listening to this on vinyl was really wild to me. Um, now, granted, there were children running around a lot of the time, so I didn't get to really dissect the feeling of it. But in the few brief moments of quiet that I had while listening to it, it was really it was really kind of nuts. So how do you even how do you go about mastering something like this? What, what do you do to try to make this? I don't even know how to put this into words. Like, how do you make something that is such an inherently digital thing sound as good as it can through, and as unique as it can through an analog medium like vinyl? So there's three, there's three parts answer to your question. The first part is relating to the source material. So the part of the question that's, that's asking, Hey, this is, this is sort of dinosaur digital. This is vintage digital, right? And because we've got these really, really old digital sources, what's it like working with those? And first of all, it really, really matters if it was an 8-bit game or 16-bit game. That, that kind of matters a lot. Um, I would imagine uh, you so. Know. I mean, just in bass alone, like the comparison between the bass sound of a Genesis and the bass of an NES is is a bit bonker. I mean, the bass that the Genesis comes out with is certainly a unique sound. So, Right, right, exactly. And, and, uh, and the way that, that, you know, those early digital pioneers managed it was, it was really the Wild West back then, right? Like the, the, the sound of, of the, the, the programming, the audio programming on like a TurboGrafx-16 didn't sound like a Genesis. 
No, um, no, and yeah, so, so everybody was everybody was sort of doing their own thing. Nothing was standardized. It was like a crazy and very like chaotic time, right? Um, but uh, so when you're working with these sort of vintage digital sources, a lot of the time those vintage digital sources started with with some kind of analog programming, right? Like a lot of the stuff was done with modular synthesis um, that was then like fed through. Sometimes it was just like raw MIDI that was triggering um, like a, like a program pad. Um, but sometimes it was like a very coarse, very, very coarse digitization of actual analog electronics. And in the case when that's happening, what you're really trying to do is find the bits of the spectrum that have like that ghost and bring those out with a combination of equalization and dynamics and minimize the sort of like ugly early digital artifacts. Right. And so that's, that's that's one part of what's going on is like is looking looking through all the scruff of all that early digital and finding the parts where the scruff is really really you know audible and minimizing it and then finding everything else and maximizing it so that's part number one um part number two is about vinyl itself right so so digital is totally linear which is why um classical people and um uh people who are into certain types of esoteric electronic music really, really still champion digital and will until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> they just, <laughs> they, they love the absolute linearity and clarity of digital, right? Now, as you know, vinyl is not that way. And there's, first of all, there's noise in vinyl, right? And that part of that warmth and that hum uh, comes from just like the natural, like, like warm hummy sound of you effectively taking a, a tiny rock and dragging it through a plastic groove. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that makes a noise and that's, that's part of the experience of listening to vinyl. And if you don't like it, you're not going to like vinyl, but more to the point for vinyl to be, you know, encoded and decoded encoded on my end with uh, the cutter head of a lathe and decoded on your end with uh, a playback stylus and a phono preamp. It goes through something called um, uh, RIAA equalization. Now, the RIAA, before it like sued people's little sisters for downloading Metallica, it actually <laughs> did like good things, like developed standards. Mm -hmm. And the standards related to vinyl, you know, really allow um, vinyl's a really challenging consumer medium because everything on the disc sonically is represented physically, right? On this disc. Mm -hmm. yeah. So on a 12 inch, I've only got 12 inches of space to fit the music, right? And if you're trying to pack something on with a lot of bass or, or certain excited uh, concentrations of energy in the upper mid range or the high end, that's, that's, that's very space hungry, right? We'd end up with very, very short records if vinyl was totally linear and it's not. And the, 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 the sort of secret to the format, not only the secret to the equipment that I used to cut, but also to RAA equalization, is that it really maximizes the curve of human hearing. But humans don't hear linearly. We don't hear in a way that maximizes enjoyment for digital, right? Digital is totally, totally linear. Humans hear logarithmically. There's certain frequencies that we hear better than other frequencies. So... And that's just a, the case of evolution, like between one and three K, uh, that's kilohertz, sorry, between one and three kilohertz, which is one and three thousand cycles of air pressure, 
um, that would be like around the sound of like a baby crying, right? So you can imagine through evolution, we hear that frequency range really well, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, like something like 15 hertz, which is like the very bottom of a truck engine idling or perhaps even the sound of an earthquake, we don't hear that so well. We more feel that. Same thing with the upper ends of the frequency spectrum. We, we don't hear those things so well, especially... Chris, if you were a teenage drummer and you never wore ear protection, um, <laughs> you, 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 probably, you probably hear that area, um, especially poorly. Uh, and, vinyl, and vinyl, the frequency response of vinyl really closely pins to the frequency curve, the logarithmic frequency curve of human hearing. It's literally playing more of what we like to hear. And part of that warmth, the second part of the answer to that question, is part of that warmth is related to the fact that Vinyl is a fully analog playback mm -hmm. uh, apparatus. So if you imagine the, the, the cutting stylus on my, um, on my lathe, if there is a 10,000 kilohertz sound, so that's 10,000 expansions and rare fractions of air pressure per second, or 14 kilohertz sound, right, which is where you would find hi-hats. So this, this little jewel is trying to shake back and forth 10,000 times a second or 14,000 times a second, right? Now it's obviously not going to do that, and so what that what the 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 and this is another thing that classical people hate about vinyl, the the high end of vinyl is a little soft because it's it's naturally nonlinear. It just can't reproduce tones that high with perfect clarity. Now, um, as you know, Matt, when one end of the frequency spectrum is a little bit soft, it by default sort of like enhances the other end just mm -hmm. because we're hearing less of one thing. So we hear more of another. Right. So that's another reason that vinyl sounds a little bit warmer because the, the high end just can't be that crisp. There's just no way physically for it to happen. And the third part of the answer is, is really not related to sonics or science or anything like that at all. It's really just related to experiential listening. Like it, there's, there's something kind of nice and there was a study made about this about you know people's attention span about consuming music in roughly 20 minute chunks hmm. which is about what a side of vinyl holds and so the the sort of like good i don't know if you guys have ever had the experience of like listening to an, an album on a streaming service or even on a cd and you know pausing it halfway through and being like i don't know that's like enough of that, I think, uh, you know, and I've coming back it. to it later. Yeah. Um, I think everybody has, uh, unless you're on a road trip or something. And, uh, but the vinyl sort of plays to our natural attention span for being able to like consume a set of musical ideas and digest them again, just because of the limitation of the format, because we're, we're only able to fit about 20 minutes of music, um, on a side realistically. And so I think all of those three things working together, are what um, kind of give it that sound that you're experiencing where you're like, man, this is, this is a very different experience than listening to like raw retro digital playback um, because it is, it is really, really different. And, and I guess like the final thing is, is my, uh, my processing chain is entirely analog. Um, and so uh, if I do have sources that are a little bit crispy digitally and a little bit brittle, there's a lot that I can do to, to, to breathe a little bit more of that analog life back into it. That's fantastic. So, wow. So you have like a whole, um, you have a whole patch bay of, of outboard here. 
Yeah, I sent uh, I sent Chris a link to link to um to an Instagram live like kind of video tour that I did with my studio. Okay. Um, so you should you should uh, Chris, if you want to forward him that link, you should. Uh, oh, I saw you it. Check it out and just see. I, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. So, he's in on the Facebook uh, post about it. I haven't watched the video. Yeah, I haven't yet, watched I it yet either. I, I I'm not I'm I'm not one of those guys that's crazy for gear, but I love seeing someone's studio and like workspace because you really like obviously you get to learn a lot about them, but at the same time it's great to see that, you know, okay. So when I started in engineering school and, and went through the paces, I originally thought I was going to be working in a studio, but, um, and that was my intention, but, uh, you know, as pro tools became more prevalent and at home recording, and that also goes for film too, the job started to kind of, you know, dry up a little bit. So there's still a part of me that would love to go back and be in a recording studio, um, so I, I like to see that stuff. It it gives me a little bit of like I don't know hope or something. But but it's great to see that. So it's, uh, I'm definitely gonna watch that. I'm 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 the same way. And it, and part of the part of the reason that that I you know I do work entirely in the analog realm is that I do get so many digital sources, not just for video game soundtracks, but for music. Mm-hmm. And to really like breathe a little bit more of that life into it, analog electronics are are pretty crucial. Yeah. Um, and then if and then if something was recorded analog, well then it's just you know it's just it's it's just more good sauce. It's not it's not gonna. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's impossible that. Yeah. It's impossible to have too much of, of a good thing there. So I actually had a question. Um, you had mentioned that uh, particularly for Snake Rattle and Roll. Um, now obviously a lot of uh, what comes your way is already pretty much agreed upon. When you run off that um, that acetate. For kind of like the first playback, um, to when it's uh, it gets um, you know it gets the seal of approval on on how how different from that original first acetate to the final do you see like how different can that be? Has there been a time you've run off the acetate and, you're, and everyone's like perfect, print it, and then has there been times where you're just kind of stuck in this loop where it's like you send it out notes come back you send it out notes come back yeah i mean that really that depends on a lot man (laughs) and it depends on um i would say most of the time when people hear the acetate as long as they're listening to it within the 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 realm of time before the disc has started to degrade right like well over three quarters of the time people are just like this sounds great man just go with it right (laughs) all right um uh acetates are different from um, from vinyl polycarbonate. So sometimes people's playback setups aren't aren't really optimized for it. Like if you have a needle where the counterweight is set really heavy, you will tear that disc up Ugh. as you listen to it. Yeah. And so people will say, hey, I played it back and there's like all this terrible distortion. It's like, well, not only did you not get to listen to what the acetate actually sounds like, but you've ruined the acetate. <laughs> so, let me cut, so let me cut you another one. And then, and you know, here's how you set the counterweight on your record player. And, um, but very often when there's notes, it'll be notes about like what I was talking about with Snake Rattle and Roll, like, you know what, this, this, like this sequence worked for digital and we don't feel like it works for vinyl. Right. Because of side breaks and because of other things or like, or you know what, the, the spacing in between these songs, like right now, I think that was one of the things with Snake Rattle and Roll. And again, I'm sorry, I'm not at the studio, I, so I can't look at the notes for this record. But there was there was concern with some of the songs where it's like, man, this record is really breathless. Mm. Like there's there's not enough space 
either you know we're we're not giving people enough time to digest any of this just like bam 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 into song to song to song so like let's let's figure out some fade let's figure out like some one to two second breaks between the songs like let's because it's just this you know this is like a punishing listen right now yeah and um so that would be notes that i would get um from an acetate that that i would then make adjustments for and 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 make sure that they were represented properly on the lacquer uh uh, it's it's pretty rare that I get sonic notes on an acetate because by the you know by the time we're getting to the acetates, everybody has signed off on the digital masters, so everybody likes the way the album sounds. And if you like the way that the album sounds, I can get it to sound that good or better on a disc. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's you know people usually aren't saying like the EQ has to change for this song or something like that. Cause they, we've already been through all of that when they, when they have approved the masters digitally. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Like you wouldn't be at the mastering process if you didn't already kind of approve the direction that this was going in. Right. Right. Exactly. Awesome. I like that. Not only are you, um, you know, you're providing this fantastic service through mastering, you're also providing kind of life lessons on how to balance your needle. It's fantastic. <laughs> You're like one-stop shop. Well, when you're dealing with vinyl, you know, so much of the vinyl listening experience is I can't control because it's about people's playback apparatus. Right. And this is fundamentally different than like a CD player or listening to something digitally, like from, you know, from like Tidal or on YouTube or something like that. Because not only do you have to, take people's speakers in mind, you have to take their record player and their, the balance of their tone arm and their stylus in mind. And so when, you know, if I get a set of notes back about like horrible distortion or, you know, like skips or something like that, something that I would never let out of the studio. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is going to require a phone conversation with this person. And like, you know, and maybe like a, like a Skype chat to just talk them through how to set how to set their records up or their record player up and, and like get optimal, you know, an optimal playback experience. Cause it, you know, there's, when you buy a record player, like if you get a record player, a $99 record player from Amazon or something like that, there's no notes on the inside about how to set it up. I, I might um, need one of those calls. one of these <laughs> <days>. <laughs> um, And, and so, uh, and you know, most of the time it's not a problem, but when, but when you're approving masters and, and specifically when you're listening to an acetate disc, which again is not a record, right. it's you, you really vinyl polycarbonate is stiff. It's tough. It holds up, you know, yeah. acetates don't, they're soft. So you can, you can really mess them up in, in a way that it's, it would be very difficult to do with a record mm-hmm. and get, get a really, really like imprecise idea of how it's going to sound based on that listening experience yeah right right and i think that's fantastic that you can actually when you just look at the notes you don't even have to like read too deep into them and be like oh yeah I, okay i see what the problem here is you know i mean but that's that's just yep. experiential you, you've been at this for as long as you have and you, you know you, you see that that truck coming a mile away <laughs> yeah i mean i'm like at this point i've been you know i've been in in portland for 11 years and I've been mastering for like 15. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, when I was, when I was younger in my career, if someone was like, look, we've got all these problems. I would freak out and be like, Oh my God, what did I do wrong? And, and it would, you know, be like a, a sleepless night and a, and a uh, tortured following morning yeah, before yeah. I got to the bottom of it. And it's like, now it's like, there's all this distortion on the thing. It's like, I know, I think I know what's going on here. I'll, I'll, let's, 
let's hop on the phone and figure it yeah. out. <laughs> I, I definitely know that feeling. When I first started engineering live sessions, I was like, oh my God, a, a pin dropped somewhere. And I was like, what was that? You know, and you get, I, there, were, there were moments in, in my early time when I'm like, you know, I could very easily just hang this up and go back to the warehouse and the boxes for the rest of my life. I, I've got like imposter syndrome right now. This is crazy. So Matt and I should really probably get started on recording our episode proper. Um, I, thank you uh, so much for, for chatting with me about this. This was absolutely fascinating. <laughs> and this was <clears throat> besides blowing my mind that I'm actually talking to you after all this time, uh, that it's relevant to what I was doing tonight anyways. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, really crazy. It's great talking to you again, Adam. Have a wonderful night. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, it was great catching up with you, um, uh, uh, if only on this one topic, Chris. And, and Matt, it was nice to eat me to you. Pleasure. And um, yeah, do let me know um, when the podcast is I would love to listen to it. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. Yeah, no problem. Take care.